Thank you, Jonathan. Awesome. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Welcome to church. If you've been here before, we're glad you're back. If it's your first time, welcome. We hope you meet somebody new, make this your home in some way. Um, we want you to see that there's communion stuff around, so whenever you're ready, if you want to go grab the bread and the juice to remember Jesus' body and blood, don't miss that opportunity. It's there for you. It's something Jesus tells us to do. And it reminds us that it's about what he did already on the cross when he said it is finished. It's all done. Praise God. So uh, we're going to start the service by reading just a few verses from Psalm 99. If you're able, stand with me and we'll read those together. Psalm 99, verse 1. Yahweh reigns. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name, or your nature. He is holy. Let's stop there and pray. God, we just do that right now. We, we just stop. We come to church to stop, to pause from our hurried lives, and just to behold you. Lord, to see you're, you're, you're high above everything, every circumstance in our life, every situation, bad or good, the Super Bowl, everything, God. You're holy. It means you're set apart from all of it. So we look to you now. Take us there. Take us to your throne room, your throne of grace. As we go into worship and Bible study, we invite you to be the center of it. Let us abide in you and you in us right now, Lord. Just deepen our relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn around, say hello to someone. We'll begin our worship time.
pray that this morning that we would take advantage of this time that we would run into your arms, Lord. That we would run into the safety of you, God. This world is crazy. It surrounds us. It engulfs us sometimes, God. It can distract us. But this morning, Lord, I pray that we'd be caught up in you, that your presence would be overflowed upon our hearts, God, and that you would minister, that you cover us with your grace and your love and shelter us under the shadow of your wings this morning, we pray. And as we continue in an attitude of worship now, Lord, I pray that you continue to draw us near to your heart, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment this morning and welcome our friend, Bob Bennett. Good morning. Very happy to be with you again. Two or more are 
Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was from the start, so now and forever. World without end, amen. of old, when they're at their best, do a couple wonderful things for the Church of, of Jesus. As we uh, sing these sometimes even archaic words, it's kind of a way of joining ourselves with all the people who have gone before us using some of the same words and concepts that were familiar to them and, uh, and are familiar to us. And also, some of the best hymns are like little mini Sunday school lessons. There's actual teaching going on in the song lyrics. So this is one of my favorite songs. Now, for those of you who may not know, and I didn't until I looked it up, this song contains a word called diadem. Diadem is, is an old-time word for crown. So this is all Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Hail him who saves you by his grace. 
with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall we'll join the everlasting song and Thank you so much, Bob. We love that old hymn. And you guys can find Bob's stuff online and see him again tonight. Thank you so much for coming, man. Um, junior high and high school, get ready to go. But first, we have our video announcements. All right, guys, everyone, welcome to Bible study. But before that, Liam, please yes. stand up. What are you doing here? I just wanted to learn about the Word of God, and well, uh, this is Young Bloods, and the minimum requirement is 18 to 30. 30? And you're 15, so come back when your blood is older, but not too old. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if your blood is not too young and not too old, you can come to Young Bloods. It's here at the cafe, Monday nights at seven. You gotta look at me when I'm talking to him, your coach. The yes, game sir. needs to be over by five o'clock because we have church at 6.30. You understand me? Yes, sir. Do you understand? I don't want you to think about this Tyler Swift. Who do you think that is? The Swifties? Swifties? Whatever they're called. Five o'clock game needs to be over. Yes, sir. You understand me? Yes, sir. Do you understand me? Coach Travis! Woo! Ah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to know that this whole Super Bowl would not have been possible without you, T. Ah! What the heck? Oh, looks like we're not going to be able to make it to Sunday service. Well, even though there's a Super Bowl, there's still Sunday night service at Packing House. All right. <laughs> Thank you, announcement team, video team. <laughs> Yes, Super Bowl Sunday. No division in the church, please. We are not for the Chiefs or the 49ers. What does Jesus say? I am the commander of the Lord's army. Neither. I am for neither. Uh, junior high and high school, you guys could go meet your teacher in the lobby. Parents, you can meet them in the lobby after the service. Um, if the Lord's leading you can, to give, you can give online at the website, or you guys could give at these boxes in the sanctuary or in the lobby as the Lord leads you. Uh, let's go to prayer now. 
Just take a few moments, quiet our hearts and minds, roll off any burden that's on your back on the Lord. He, he wants to carry you that. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's just do that for a few moments. And then Naomi De Silva, if you come up and close, that would be amazing. for your word and thank you for this place where we can come and just be a family father you've um, you're the great creator father and you created all of us in your image we thank you that you love us and you redeem and um, you don't waste any of the pain father we thank you it says in your word psalm 62 8 trust in him at all times you people pour out your hearts to him for god is our refuge so we thank you we can take everything to big or little just pray for um, all the people serving today, Father, the children, um, all around the church, Father. Thank you for everyone that gives their time, Father. It's such a joy to serve you, Lord. I just pray you'd um, give Pastor um, Ed your Holy Spirit and um, direct him, Father, and direct our whole service, Lord, we give it to you. Um, just thank you for your promises that you're the good shepherd. You said in Isaiah 40, verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother's sheep with their young. So, Father, thank you that you, you are the God who sees. We love you, and we praise you, and you give this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Naomi, and thank you, Jonathan. That was beautiful. If you grab your Bibles and stand with me, if you can, we're working our way through Scripture verse by verse. We're in the book of Acts, we're in chapter 11, and uh, as we pick up where we left off last week, 11, 19. Now those who were scattered after the per persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, the Greek speakers, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them all that the purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. 
which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've left it here for us so that we might be able to track and follow the move of your Holy Spirit in bringing the church, the body of Christ, together in the world in the first century, that we might apply the same principles to our own life here now in this century. So speak to us. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us that we might leave this place different than the way we came in. This we ask in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people agreed by saying... Amen. You may be seated, please. So several years ago, I was uh, reading in a newspaper, and I found this ad. It was in a classified section. True story. And, uh, and it caught my eye, and I, actually, I, I laughed about it for quite a while. See how it affects you. It says, lost one dog, brown hair with several bald spots. Right leg broken due to an auto accident. Left hip hurt. Right eye missing. Left ear bitten off in a dog fight. Answers to the name Lucky. (laughs) (laughs) So, is the name significant? Do names matter? Or are they just unimportant? Well, in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, the names are very important. In fact, they were intended to have a meaning for a specific individual. Parents thought the essence of the child should be captured by the name. In fact, today still, in Orthodox Jewish families, many newborns are not named for weeks until some characteristic shows up. I have a friend who... Like that, and uh, their daughter was always smiling. And so they called her Joy, and she continues to be that to this day. So when God created Adam, he gave him that name because it means simply man. Eve, when she was created, her name means mother of all living. Jacob, his parents saw when he came out of the womb, his twin brother, he had caught the heel, just as a baby. And so they called him Jacob, which in Hebrew means heel catcher. And his brother's name, uh, because he was covered with hair already as a newborn, they called him Harry or Esau. And uh, sometimes names stick, you know. Judah means praise. Samuel, his mother asked God for a son. And so when God gave her a son, she called him Samuel, which means asked of God. Sometimes God changes names of people. Uh, Abram, his name was changed to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. His wife, Sarai, her name was changed to Sarah, which means princess. Jacob, we just talked about, his name was changed to Israel. That means uh, ruled by God. Simon's name was changed to Peter in the New Testament from to a rock. 
Even God himself uses different names when he describes himself. He attributes to himself different names. For example, he's El Shaddai, the strong one. He is El Elyon, God most high. He is El Olem, the everlasting God. He is Yahweh, Jireh, the God who provides. Yahweh Rope, the God who heals. Yahweh Kadesh, the God who sanctifies. Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. Yahweh Shabbos, the Lord of hosts over all the armies of heaven. Yahweh Tiskanu, the Lord our righteousness. Yahweh Shema, I am the God who is there, Yahweh Nisa, the Son, the Lord, our banner, Yahweh Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. At Christmas time, we often read Isaiah 9, 6, the different names that Jesus would be called by. It says that he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the prince of peace, and so he is. But he has a lot of other names that God has preserved for us in Scripture. He is the second Adam, our advocate, the Alpha and the Omega, the Ancient of Days, the Amen, the author and the finisher of our faith, the blessed and only potentate, the captain of our salvation, the chief shepherd, the cornerstone. He is the day spring, the desire of the nations. He is the faithful witness, the first and the last. He is the good shepherd, our great high priest, the holy one of God. He is the great I am. He is the judge of Israel, the king of the Jews, the king of saints, and the king of kings. He is the light of the world, the Lord of glory, the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the mediator between God and man, the man of sorrows, yet the mighty God. He is the prince of peace, the resurrection and the life, the rock, of our salvation, the rose of Sharon, the root of David, the savior of the world. He is the shepherd and the bishop of our souls, the son of righteousness, the son of man, the son of God. He is Shiloh, he is the true vine, the truth, the witness, the word of God. He is the Lamb of God and the Lion of the tribe of Jesus. He is Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's what the various names mean. So what's in a name? Well, there's a lot in a name. Back in Acts chapter 4, we were introduced to a man named Barnabas. Actually, his given name in Hebrew was Joseph or Yosef. He was a Greek-speaking Levite from the tribe of Levi, who was living in Cyprus, and then he came to Jerusalem, we were told. 
And everyone who met him was impressed with a certain characteristic that he had. He didn't say he had it. Everyone else saw that he had it. And so they told him they were going to change his name to Barnabas. What? Barney? Barnabas. Son. Nabus. Encouragement. Because this man had a gift from God to encourage you. When you met him, you walked away from the conversation afterwards being built up. You felt spiritual. You felt stronger than before he started talking with you. This is a characteristic I believe that every one of us in this room needs to help grow in our lives. We need to apply it more. We live in a world of critics. Everybody's a critic. God wants us as believers to be encouragers, to be strengthening people, to look for characteristics in the people we meet and comment on it. My wife is gifted in this area. She'll walk up to somebody and I'll think, boy, that gal is dressed really weird. And she'll say, oh, I love the color of your fingernail polish. And the girl says, oh, yes, this is a special one. And she said, it reminds me of the book of Judges. And then she'll bring in this, and I just go, okay, I don't know anything about talking to people. (laughs) Barnabas is like that. He knows how to encourage other people. And that gift God is speaking to us about from this story, very short section we're looking at this morning, It has three parts to it. There's preaching that's emphasized twice in the first part of it, 19 through 20. And then this concept of encouragement, of choosing to tell others something about them that will help them. And then teaching, 26 through 30. That's where we're going. I think it's a a very interesting section of scripture. If you're a history buff, it's it's just running over with issues that we learned about in school, we didn't know were connected to the Bible. So starting in verse 19, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose mainly in Jerusalem, when Stephen traveled, or was over Stephen's witness, you remember he was stoned to death, the apostle Paul participated in it. Those believers started to leave Jerusalem and they went to Phoenicia, the, the next country above Israel today, Uh, Lebanon, uh, Beirut, uh, in those days it was Tyre and Sidon, the Phoenician sailing points, Cyprus, that island of course is still there today, and then the city, Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. And so we've watched through the, if you've been with us, the last few chapters, there's a chain in change in the approach of the gospel. Jesus said there would be. He said you go first to Jerusalem, then Samaria, and then Judea, and then the uttermost parts of the world. But he also meant to everyone. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And this is it happening. The Jews at this time, the Christians who were Jewish, thought you had to become a Jew first. If you would become a Jew first, if you're a Gentile and you're not Hebrew in any way, then you become a Jew first and then you become a Christian. 
that we saw at Cornelius in chapter 10 was this Roman centurion, over 100 men, a Roman line officer, and he's living in the main port of Israel at this time, Caesarea, where the Romans were, and he sends for Paul because God asks him, excuse me, he sends for Peter because God tells him there's a man, well, I want you to listen to Peter's down 30 miles to the south in Joppa, and God appears to him and says, I want you to go up and talk to this guy, Cornelius. So he does. But the significance of that is Cornelius is as Gentile as you can get. He's Italian, okay? And, and there's no Hebrew roots in him. There's no son of Abraham or anything like that. And so Peter goes up and he walks into this house filled with people who are this Gentile line officer's family as well as the men from his regiment, his legion. And so Peter starts to talk, and just as he gets started, the Holy Spirit falls on this group, and they all get filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a mighty wind. They start speaking in tongues, and Peter says, my goodness, (laughs) these are Gentiles, and they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit just like we did back in Pentecost, chapter 2. Now, for us, that sounds strange, right? Here we are 2,000 years later, and probably most of us in this room are Gentiles. I am about as Gentile as you can get. So um, that's not necessarily a compliment. I just mean I don't have any Jewish blood at all in me. So all of a sudden, Peter goes, wait a minute. God is saving Gentiles too. And, of course, God always intended to do that that the Jews themselves would be alighted to the Gentiles. But all of a sudden, this concept is new to all these new believers who had gotten saved, who had been disciples, apostles of Jesus. And so that's where we're breaking into the story. So all these Jewish Christians are being scattered, and they go to these various spots. Antioch is a place that we're looking at this morning, especially That is the theater in Antioch as it sits today, this morning. It would seat 100,000 people. Romans built their theaters uh, to fit the population, so that meant that there were a million people in the city of Antioch. It sits in a valley with a river, the Orontes River that runs right past it. That is the cardo, the main drag through the city. It's four miles long. Talk about shop until you drop. There's serious shopping going on in Antioch in those days. That river or that street is 2,000 years old, and they still use it to this day. The Romans knew how to build roads. That's why the gospel got all over the European continent so quickly, because the Romans were road builders. Uh, it's a It's uh, actually just over the border in Syria today. That's the inside of a church in downtown Antioch. The floors look like they're all polished because it was carved out of solid rock. And all the Christians who have worshipped there over the years with their sandals have polished the floor. Uh, It's actually cut right in the side of a, uh, there's another shot in a minute, of uh, like a cave dug in. They just pulled all the, cut the stone and pulled it out. It is, uh, Syria is actually a beautiful country. It's a tragedy uh, that all that they're going through right now. It's about 15% 
Christians. It's not a Muslim country. Uh, a lot of Christians there. Um, the, uh, uh, the coins have been minted there. That's a gold coin from uh, 41. It's the same time we're reading about Caesar Augustus. And uh, it's uh, a big chunk of gold, actually. Uh, the church itself looks like, the, the front of it looks like the next slide. So you can see it was uh, on the side of a hill. You'll get a better shot in a minute. But they just carved the front of it flat uh, in the center of that uh, limestone area. And there it stands to this day, Antioch. So Antioch, on a river, I mentioned the Orontes. Rome was on the Tiber. Alexandria was on the Nile River in northern Africa. The three largest cities, Antioch's the third. Um, the ch ancient church historian Jerome uh, tells us that uh, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, was from this city. And um, it was a metropolitan, cosmopolitan commercial center. It was the gateway to the east, going towards India sort of a thing. Ethnically diverse, Arabic, Jews, Greeks, Romans. Um, it was also famous for its chariot races. If you saw or read the book Ben-Hur or the chariot race, that took place in Antioch. Uh, also known for its gross immorality. It was... Uh, the Las Vegas of the Roman world, the worst. And in mythology, uh, uh, Apollo tried to rape Daphne there. And those of you that have studied Greek uh, mythology know that story. But it led to uh, a great deal of decadence there. I mention that because the most corrupt city, one could argue, in the first century became the center of Christianity. We're all upset about the things that are taking place in our own nation, and it's so easy to give up and say, well, you know, Satan's got control. It's never going to come back. Antioch was the worst, but it became over the next three centuries the center of Christianity. The preachers who, uh, pastors who taught there, first century Barnabas, Paul, Peter, and John. All of them spoke in the church there. In the second century, Ignatius and Theophilus. And in the third and fourth century, Lucian and Theodorus, we don't know, but a guy named John Christosom. And Christosom, he was called Christosom, that means golden, because he, had, he was a, a very gifted preacher. And the church grew to a point where he wrote, by the way, you can still read his sermons online, John Christosom. Uh, he, he said in one of his sermons that he had finished preaching to 100,000 people that morning, a Sunday morning service. We think there are mega churches in America. We got nothing. 100,000 people in one room, standing, no seats, no danger of people falling asleep because they're standing. Uh, I... There was a church just like it or modeled after it in Istanbul. Those of you that might have been to Istanbul, it's called Sophia's. And uh, it's huge. It has room for 50,000 people in it. But this church in Antioch had 100,000 people per Sunday morning. This church seats 3,000 people. We, 
We're wimps. We got nothing. My point that God used this immoral city, the Las Vegas of that day, and turned it into the center of Christianity. And we're reading how it happened. So preaching the word to no one except the Jews, that's how it started in Antioch, because they thought that's what the gospel was for, that it was for Jews, verse 20. But some of them, these men, from... Uh, were from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyprus, of course, the island in the Mediterranean. Cyrene, North Africa, uh, Tripoli today. Who? When they had come to Antioch, these men were Hellenists. They spoke Greek and Latin. And so they preached the Lord Jesus to these Gentiles. They didn't have any prejudice about you had to be a Jew first. Well, that kind of busted the whole thing over. And, And all of a sudden... This thing started. Now, the word preaching is important. Evangelisto. To evangelize. To speak to somebody. To share your faith. To witness, you might say, today. These men came and they stood on street corners. And they gave sermons. Hmm. The hand of the Lord was on them. The next verse says, it's a very Old Testament statement. It appears 38 times in the Bible. 34 of them are in the Old Testament. The hand of God was on Joseph when he went into Pharaoh's court. The hand of God was on um, Daniel when he went into Nebuchadnezzar's court. That's a great prayer if you're praying for somebody. May the hand of God be on your life. May he direct every step on the path that you're on. Encouragement. That was Barnabas. A great number believed and turned to the Lord, and the church started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church back in Jerusalem. They went and sent out Barnabas, this guy we met in the fourth chapter, whose original name was Joseph, but they changed it to son of encouragement. He was known for his generosity. You can read in Acts chapter 4 if you missed that part is a warm acceptance of Saul of Tarsus, even though he had been an enemy of the church of God uh, in, in chapter 9. He had this ministry of bringing people together, of seeking out people who were the disenfranchised of the church. Whew. There's a lot of those in America, a lot of people that used to come to church kind of thing. Oh, I was raised in a Christian church. All those things. That's the preaching. Now the encouraging, verse 23. And he came, when he came, and had seen the grace of God. How do you see the grace of God? What is the grace of God? He was excited. He was glad. He was happy. And he encouraged them all with purpose of heart. Be intentional about your relationship with God that they should continue with the Lord. Well, first of all, we needed to find that term, grace. If you picked up a bulletin on the way in, there's a great devotional. I didn't write it, so that's why I said that, by Max Lucado. And uh, it comes from a book called Grace, More Than We Deserve, Greater Than We Can Imagine. I love the title. I'm going to read it to you, not because I don't think you can read, but because I think a lot of you just get the bulletin and you make airplanes for your children with them. They do work very good for that. 
Here's what it says. Grace. We talk as though we understand the term. The bank gives us a grace, period. The CD politician falls from grace. Musicians speak of a grace note. We describe an actress as gracious, a dancer as graceful. We use the word for hospitals or baby girls or a king, your grace, or pre-meal prayers, say grace. We talk as though we know what grace means, but do we really understand it? Have we settled for a wimpy grace? It politely occupies a phrase in a hymn, amazing grace. It fits nicely on a church sign, Grace Community Church. Never causes trouble or demands a response. When asked, do you believe in grace, who could say no? Have you been changed, though, by grace? Shaped by God's favor? Strengthened by his grace? Emboldened by grace? Have you been softened by grace? Snatched by the nape of your neck and shaken to your senses by grace. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'll raise one. God's grace has a drenching about it, overwhelming. A wildness about it. A white water rip tide turn you upside downness about it. Grace comes after you. It rewires you from insecure to God, secure. From regret, riddled, to better because of it. From afraid to die, to ready to fly. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. Joseph saw the grace on these people's lives because grace was changing them. Grace was strengthening them. Grace was softening them. I don't usually talk about this sort of stuff, but I think it's a good illustration for you to hear. I, I did a funeral this week of, of an old friend of mine. In fact, we met before kindergarten. We lived in the same neighborhood, Monty Farquhar. Some of you may know the Farquhar family, Farquhar Ranch, Root Ranch. The oldest son, Monty, passed away. And uh, I did a funeral at Arlington Cemetery, the National Cemetery over in Riverside. And I've done a lot of funerals there, but this one was different because Monty was a commander. He was a pilot. In fact, he was top gun instructor and uh, a warrior, a real man, about 6'4 and about 250 pounds. And uh, he flew off the deck of one of America's four super carriers uh, through the wars in Vietnam, the wars in Iraq, Desert Storm. And uh, I, hadn't, I lost contact with him for about 30 years. And one Sunday, about a year and a half, two years ago, I looked up and I watched this big guy come to the door and he sat right back there 
all the way in the very back cheap seats, the nosebleed section, <laughs> which is what I would expect a warrior to do. And I just kept on going, didn't say anything. And we, as you know, we do here, we do a little altar call at the end, raise your hand if you'd like your sins forgiven. But to my surprise, he raised his hand. And he came forward. You, you see, he was carrying a real load. Because he flew A7s off this carrier, he dropped a lot of bombs, shot a lot of things. Became so good that he became a trainer. He was a warrior, and, uh, but he was carrying guilt, and he needed God to forgive him. And I can tell you, he radically accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for all his sins and began to turn around. Now, he was amongst us, and of course, most of you wouldn't, wouldn't have known him, but I watched the grace of God on his life. God began to change him. Has grace softened you? Grace softened this man. Now, we, as I said, we grew up together. We were both addicted to speed. I don't mean the drug. I mean, we raced everything. I think our first race with each other were on tricycles before kindergarten. And if I remember right, I won. <laughs> and then later we raced motorcycles and soapbox derbies and uh, cars and trucks and anything that would go fast. We both loved to go fast and we loved to blow stuff up. He became a pilot, I became a chemist. I can make amazing things. <laughs> But I tell you all that story about him because God changes people who will surrender their lives to him. This was a different man a year later, a much different man a year and a half, two years later. He saw the grace of God. I've seen the grace of God on many of you. I've watched God's Fierce, chasing you down and changing you. I know so many stories in this room, and, and don't worry, I'm not going to tell them. <laughs> I know my own story. I know that all you must do, it's not how many times you go to church. It's not how many times you read the Bible. It's not how much money you've given. It's not how many mission trips you've gone on. It's do you believe Jesus Christ died for you? That's simple. That's simple. You cannot earn heaven any more than you can earn grace because God's gift is already given to us. So Joseph began his ministry of encouraging, which I'm trying to do for all of you here this morning. For he was a good man, that's an interesting term. It means more than he behaved himself, kept out of trouble. This refers to his disposition, his attitude. He had a good attitude 
agathos, sounds like agape, uh, means to be agreeable, joyful, a happy attitude. Now, I have lived a while, and I've discovered some things about changes. I have discovered that I cannot change people. I cannot change my children. I cannot change my grandchildren. I certainly can't change my wife. I mean, I can't change you. Look around. One thing I can change, my attitude. I can choose when I get up every morning what my attitude will be. Oh, I can think of all the people that have said things about me. I mean, most of you have roast pastor for lunch. That's a joke, okay? I have watched and I have observed that my attitude changes everything. And so when I wake up and choose to have a good attitude. Lord, I give you this day, forgive my sins, take my life. I want to walk joyfully with you. Give me a disposition that's Christ-like. That's going to come up in a moment. He was a man who, had, who chose his attitude. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You see, faith again is a choice, like attitude. You have to choose to trust you have to choose to rely on someone. You have to choose to believe. Same word, four words, synonyms. You have to believe that God loves you and has given you eternity and will forgive your sins if you just open your mouth and ask for it. So he was a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said if you would drink of him, out of your innermost being would come rivers of living water. Thus spoke he of the Holy Spirit. That's John chapter 7. This man was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, a choice. He chose to believe in God. And a great many people were added to the Lord because his attitude was good, because the Holy Spirit used him because he had faith. He believed. People got saved. So, he's there in Antioch, verse 26, and uh, he decides to go looking, verse 25. Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Now, Saul of Tarsus is a familiar name if you were with us for the first part of Acts. It is uh, the green, large green dot in the upper left-hand corner. Tarsus is in modern-day Turkey. Antioch is right there by Aleppo in Syria. That's Cyprus, the little slice in the bottom left-hand corner. It's only 150 miles, but it's over two 8,000-foot mountain passes, the mountains of Tarsus. This is horrendous, even a drive. Uh, and so he walked there. There's the Tarsus Zoo today. Tarsus is a modern, thriving city. It is a university city. The largest university in Turkey is there. That is Cleopatra's Arch. Cleopatra met Mark Anthony in this city of Tarsus. And uh, if you know the story, uh, Mark Anthony 
wanted uh, to marry her so that they could have joint power of, of Greece and of uh, Egypt. And uh, when she got there, she didn't show up. Her, they, he knew her ship came in. And she decided to wait about a week just to keep him waiting. And when they, he was out walking one day, and when she came into the city, they met underneath that. Not that that has anything to do with scripture, but just to let you know. There's the road to Tarsus from uh, Antioch. And uh, it's actually a beautiful country. Uh, too bad all the war and everything else going on. So, um, and when he had found him, verse 26, he brought him to, back to Antioch. But it, so it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church, church, huge church, and talked a great many people. There's a difference between preaching, as we read in the first verse we looked at, 19 this morning, and teaching. Preaching is evangelisto, it's to evangelize people, but teaching is doing what we're doing here this morning. You go through God's word and you take it apart, you break it down, then you apply it to your own life. So they were teaching all these people that had gotten saved who were all relatively young Christians, and they assembled, assembled together, taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Christ men, Christ women. Christos is the Greek word for the Messiah, and I-A-N to the end of it uh, means a man or a woman who is like the name. When you say you are a Christian, you are saying you are like Jesus Christ, a follower of him. And so it was here that they were first called that. It's a, uh, a great privilege to be called that. I'm not sure the world thinks that way, but you and I need to recognize that, that we are like, that he is changing us that grace is forming us to become like him. And in these days, a prophet, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, but there was one who was particularly uh, insightful. And he came, and uh, his name is Agabus, the next verse. And he stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the world. And that happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now, Claudius Caesar um, ruled from 41 to 53. And so if you're trying to figure out where this fits into history, that would give you a pretty good idea. About 46, uh, Josephus said the famine hit Jerusalem. And they had come to uh, ask the church in Antioch, who was a very wealthy cosmopolitan city, to send some money back to help them as they were struggling. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea because they were living in a country that's hit very hard by famine. It was uh, uh, very little rain. Global warning in the first century. That was a joke. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So they trusted Barnabas and Saul 
and they sent relief. Now, I think that's an important concept to pause a moment on uh, sending relief to help Christians in need. I have uh, watched over the years, a number of years, many families uh, here in this church get excited about eschatology, about Jesus' return, and I'm more excited than anyone. I want him to return. Today would be a good day, before the game. And, um, but I've noticed, I've had a number of people come up to me over the years and say, um, we, uh, we're excited that Jesus is coming and the rapture is going to happen any time. And, and so we're, we're selling, we're leaving rentals, we're moving to Idaho. We've turned all our cash into gold. We've bought assault weapons and we're going to go dig in in Idaho. Now contrast that with verse 29. They determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. So what happens when you get all dug in in Idaho and your neighbor comes to ask for a loaf of bread? Well, you shoot them, of course. (laughs) What's wrong with that picture? Anyway, I just offer that to you when you start to think about, oh, maybe I need to move and and be safer and get a lot of ammo. Verse... uh, 23, let's go backwards a minute. We'll try and close it out. Then he came and he saw the grace of God and he was glad and encouraged them. May we look for the grace of God in each other and may we learn to encourage each other as he did. Cato uh, was being interviewed uh, and I, he, about the book that he wrote about grace, the thing that's in your bulletin. And... Uh, the guy who was interviewing said, why did you write another book about grace? There's so many great books about grace. Here's his answer. The Apostle Paul never seemed to exhaust the topic of grace. What makes us think that we can? He just kept coming at it and coming at it from yet another angle. That's the thing about grace. It's like springtime. You can't put it in a single sentence definition. And you can't exhaust it No other philosophy of religion on planet Earth has anything quite like the idea that God takes the initiative and comes after us. Not just to save us, but to sustain us here in this life. Grace is God's greatest work, and he is giving it to us. But what is grace? Grace is God replacing our dying, diseased-filled heart with his, his heart. And when we are accused by the world and by yourself and feel that fiery wrath of condemnation, I've sinned again, Jesus gave up everything for me to free me from the punishment of condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 clearly says. Encourage. Be a son, be a daughter of encouragement. Let me close um, with kind of an unusual illustration, but I want to talk for a minute about Alexander the Great. I was reading about him again because I was thinking about warriors and all the other stuff that went on this week. And uh, Alexander the Great was a a brilliant strategist, powerful general, but uh, scary brave. And uh, 
at 33 years old, he sat down and wept when his generals told him there was no more land to conquer. He had already conquered everything from England to New Delhi. And uh, he was known for being at the front of a charge. He rode a gigantic horse called Blue Syphilis, and um, nobody else could ride this horse, and it was evidently several hands taller than any other horse in the world in that time. But uh, he was also known in a negative way for having a court after every battle. And, uh, and they, he would sit on his throne, there'd be two generals, one on each side, and men who had showed uh, a lack of courage in battle were brought before him. And I'm not saying it's good, I'm just saying that's the way he was, and he was very uh, stoic and uh, didn't believe in giving mercy. Well, uh, one day after his last battle, as a matter of fact, outside of Baghdad, um, a young man was brought in chains, who blonde hair, blue eyed, good looking kid, and, uh, and Alexander stopped and looked at him and he said, what's your name? He said, Alexander, sir. You have the same name I do? Yes, sir. And then he says to the lawyer that was representing him, what's the charges? And he said, cowardice in battle, sir. And they said Alexander's face went like stone. <clears throat> and he said, what? And he says to the kid, young man, what is your name? And he said, Alexander, sir. And he got off the throne and he walked down right up to him Face to face, he said, I said, what's your name? He said, well, it, it's Alexander, sir. He said, he grabbed him by the front of his armor and picked him up with one hand. And he said, young man, change your behavior or change your name. You are called Christians. Would you stand, please, and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord that you have called us out of darkness into light, and then you give us the power of your Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out and give us a new heart. Most of us in this room have experienced that, Lord, but we also want to take a moment and pray for those who might be visiting who are not walking with you. We pray that you would give them grace to surrender to you here. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's someone in the room here who... Maybe you're visiting for the first time, but you've never allowed God to have control of your life. You've never surrendered to him. Say, God, forgive my sins, take my life. Or maybe you have, and it was years ago, and you've wandered off the path. This day, this morning, is for you. We wouldn't do anything to embarrass you, but if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to experience the complete freedom of Jesus Christ, if you're ready to surrender your life to God, would you let me know you're ready by looking up at me and raising your hand? God bless you, you, the two of you right next to you. God bless you. And then we'll pray in a minute. You, one, two, three, four of you. Back row, God bless you. And you, sir, God bless you. Anyone over here I missed? God never misses a hand. But if I missed, God bless you. If I missed a hand, don't worry, God didn't. Those of you that just raised your hand, 
would you please pray with the rest of us? We're going to talk to God out loud. We're going to ask him to forgive our sins, which is a good prayer for all of us to pray. And God's going to hear from heaven, and he's going to change you and forgive your sins right where you are. So everybody, please say out loud, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive my sins. Fill me with my Holy, your Holy Spirit, excuse me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Those of you that have done that, we'd encourage you to go over to these double doors to my right, your left. Some of our elders are there. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to give you a Bible. Uh, if you're sick, go there for prayer. To the rest of us, I would say if you can stay, please sing one more song with us and then we'll be dismissed. Let's praise. My Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation. He rules and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. My Savior, He can move. Now may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you grace today. And may you be so filled with the Holy Spirit that others look in your eyes and they say, what is that that's different about you? God bless you. Give somebody a hug before you go home. <laughs>